Hello and welcome to Future You, the podcast brought to you by graduate careers experts, Prospects. I'm your host, Emily Slade, and have you ever thought about starting a startup? Dr. Oksana Koryak offers an insight into the routes to take, pitfalls to avoid, and why so many ventures fail. Oksana Koryak. I'm a lecturer at the Bettany Centre for Entrepreneurship at Cranfields University and I'm also a programme director for the MSc in Management and Entrepreneurship. I generally teach entrepreneurship related subjects and so today I'm here to talk about startups and how to help them succeed. <laughs> Amazing. So when we say the word startup, like what are we what are we talking about there? What do you mean by a startup? As any word, it has a multitude of definitions, but people generally think about young and small businesses um, also with high growth ambitions. So those that um, are motivated to uh, be making a change in the world um, present a product that is unique and would solve problem of a significant group of customers. Um, the problem, of course, is that uh, the team may have capability and the vision, but it may not initially have enough resources to fulfill it. And therein lies uh, a problem that it's hard to prove what you want to achieve without having sufficient resources. That leads to the fact that, as we know colloquially about eight or nine startups perish and even you know looking at the overall demographic of businesses across countries many do not survive beyond the first sort of three to five years only about 40 percent of companies survive for five years or more and yeah so we're here to talk about some of the reasons for the failure and some of the approaches that could be taken to help young businesses survive Absolutely. And just to sort of begin with, the current state of the world as it was, is is now a good time to start a startup as it were? Or is there no good time? Is it always a good time as long as you follow the right practice? I would actually agree with you on the letter. I think uh, sometimes it is more challenging to start up uh, your business. It is sometimes more challenging to get the right resources that you need. But I think compelling opportunities always will attract both the funding and the team and backers, partners that would elevate the the initial idea into a very compelling proposition. So I wouldn't be deterred by the state of the market. We've seen some of the businesses really take flight as a result of the pandemic. I mean, I think Zoom is one of the prime examples there, and there are also many others. And, and some individuals decided to become accidental entrepreneurs as a result of the pandemic and then they had done unexpectedly well. So in terms of timing, I think it is a secondary consideration. I think it is really trying to to understand, to be conscious of the way that founders bridge their big vision with the initial execution steps to make sure that they can survive enough to make a mark in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You gave us the statistics, really, of how many ventures do fail. Why is that? Why do so many ventures fail? There are a number of reasons, 
but they could basically be summarized by the fact that whatever it is that they wanting to to offer to their customers is not compelling enough. So we have this expression, there is a lack of product market. So there isn't sufficient demand, a stable demand for product or set of services that a company wants to offer. And therefore, they're not able to deploy the resources they have effectively. They don't have enough revenues coming in. They eventually overspend on trying to convince customers to join on board. They might struggle to raise uh, external funding and run out of resources. That also leads to the fact that they may not be able to secure the partnerships and the employees that they really need to, to scale their proposition. So I think that's that kind of summary. So where do you start? So this is a, a really interesting question. If we cast our mind back to where some of the large companies have started, they looked very, very different to what we know them for today. So if we look at, for instance, Amazon, it started as a as a company that was selling books online before they've expanded into offering everything to everyone. If we look at Facebook, it had started as a social media network for Harvard and other Ivy League students and alumni. If we look at Airbnb, those were just a couple of mattresses on the founder's loft. The The starting point was always very focused on, on something that would be able to communicate to the customers the value proposition that the company wanted to deliver. And it was something very manageable. It was a slice of a market that could easily conquer and make themselves known for. And that then led to the founders being able to demonstrate that magical traction that all the partners and investors are looking for, i.e. some sort of a progress, some sort of a sign that the customers would be interested in what the company has to offer. So the interesting point here is to focus on, on that niche of a market that is easy to conquer and dominate before moving into other niches that are very, very similar to the one where the company had started. And that allows then company to accumulate resources to generate potentially some revenues to get on board additional partners that would elevate its uh, overall credibility. And that process then goes in an iterative fashion until the company becomes big for what we know. That could be contrasted to some other approaches, some other companies that have not really gone via that focused approach that so-called beachhead market. So we know a company called uh, WeWork, there have been a number of a number of reasons for its uh, sad demise uh, as of late. One of those reasons, of course, included a pandemic, but essentially the company had been able to secure enough funding to be able to have very costly leases before it could generate enough demand for those uh, workspaces that that they wanted to create. So in fact, they've funded the ambition, funded their great vision without having enough progress to demonstrate that that solution is indeed viable. Well, while we're on the subject of funding, how does that work? Do you have to come into this with uh, your own pot of money? Or are there other options? Sort of, is it accessible to everyone? Uh, this is an interesting question. It's a great learning experience, but in order to be able to uh, secure the the initial funding, 
the venture needs to demonstrate that it can create something valuable for a large enough chunk of customers, paying customers, to make sure that uh, whatever investment they may be able to raise actually will generate return to all the investors. So it does require a certain amount of work. Just because somebody might have a great idea doesn't necessarily mean that there would be others willing to back it up. And by idea, I mean, just just the initial sort of, wouldn't it be great to create something <laughs> type of uh, scenario. What you really need to have is some work that needs to be invested into demonstrating that what you'd like to offer actually has demand, that you have customers willing to pay for it, that you have learned from those initial customers enough to be able to shape your product in, in such a way that even more customers would want it. So, and that you have progressively, by getting these early signs of traction, that you're actually able to attract interest from partners that you need to deliver your product or service. You would be able to then attract employees of sufficient caliber that would make you attractive to investors. So there's a number of different moving parts and generally it's a very dynamic puzzle, but by making small and very concerted and focused steps in improving your credibility as a team and as a venture, you would be able to secure funding. Again, do a little proviso on this statement, because even uh, those companies that secure initial funding still do go through so-called valley of death after their initial fundraising effort, because getting the money to prove that you have sufficient, that you have a solution that customers might want to consider doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to scale your idea successfully. Do you have to keep in mind the future when seeking out this early on? What if your product becomes outdated or even unnecessary? Do you have to keep that in mind and will funders keep that in mind? Oh, certainly. And I think that goes not only for startups, but also for large corporates, for listed companies, for family businesses, all kinds of uh, businesses, really, you need to always have a future in mind. Generally speaking, that is one of the greatest challenge that companies across all sorts of demographic uh, demographics face. They need to continue to deliver on the obligations that they already have with the products and services that they have already offered to their existing customers, but they need to continuously look out for new growth opportunities because if they don't step in to those new growth spaces, their competitors will. You need to be ambidextrous in, in that sort of way taking care of your existing business, but always creating a new one. And obviously, to create new business, sometimes you just need to decide what not to do because companies do have, no matter how big they are, a limited set of resources, a limited set of talent, and they need to put it to the best possible use. So sometimes you do need to step away. I do feel that this is an interesting question that you raise, Emily. Sometimes early stage teams underestimate their competitors because what they look at is maybe that early stage footprint, product market footprint that they're seeing that their competitor is occupying, whereas they might not see their greater vision. So they think, all right, okay, well, if Facebook is only uh, offering their services to Ivy League students and alumni, clearly there's enough opportunity to tap into 
the other um, demographics as well without realizing that the initial competitor may have a small footprint, but they do have the capability to grow large. And that is what they were going to do given a chance. So it is important to understand not only your own set of steps to to grow, but also to anticipate what competitors might be doing next and where they might step into if the if, if that particular product market space is proven to be quite lucrative. How do you do that? Or is that <laughs> the impossible question? <laughs> Um, well, I think, uh, you know, if you're looking at your own early footprint and where to go next, you try to expand from the target uh, segment where you've already uh, positioned yourself well into those that are similar so that you could use the same kind of sales force and you understand the habits and the, the, the buying patterns of that next demographic. You could do that or you could, un or because you understand your current demographic, maybe you can expand your product um, uh, services portfolio that you might be offering to them. So you're trying to grow, bearing in mind that in, into something where you could already have a little bit of an edge based on your current understanding of the market, rather than going for something completely, completely different. So this is for uh, startups in the early stages uh, of their development. And I think if you put yourself in the shoes of the competitor and try to see where who have they hired, where they've got the capability, what is the current outline of their product. So to try to, to understand where you might be go where they might be going next. I think none of those estimations are perfect, but it's it is the process of considering, reflecting, planning that really does prepare teams to be more able to withstand the future and, and take advantage of it. So what advice would you give for someone that's thinking about starting a startup? <laughs> I think it is an amazing adventure and a great learning process. One thing to start off with is to think that any individual is bigger than just their first startup. It's, it's a learning process. I think in some jurisdictions, in some countries, there is more stigma attached to failure than in others. But I think globally, we're all moving into the domain where, you know, learning from starting a business is always encouraged and, and positively looked at, even if the particular startup did not survive. So related to that, it's important to bear in mind that your initial idea with which you started is not going to be likely to to survive that learning process, i.e. you might actually arrive at a very successful business by learning from your customer, by learning from your competitors, understanding your partners, understanding the whole industrial and competitive landscape, and you will create something great. And that's uh, another beauty uh, behind the entrepreneurship, that uh, every interaction that you have with the outside world is really resulting in, in learning that needs to be applied. I think a good advice to start is to think 
where is the lowest hanging fruit? Where is that so-called beachhead market? If you're not aware of the concept, it's it's really quite neat. It, it goes back to the end of World War Two, where Allied forces uh, landed on the beaches of Normandy in such a way that allowed them to build the defences to bring the reinforcement and and reconquer the area that was captured by the Nazi Germany. So it refers to starting a business in the best possible target market in a way to allow expansion to a much wider product market footprint. So the first uh, step would be to understand where's the good place to start? How am I going to generate um, interest from my customers? And how can offer my product, possibly improved in the process of understanding my customers, to other demographics that would allow my company to grow? So I think that idea of establishing the starting point is very important. And another underpinning concept is continuous learning, that iterative learning from every interaction that the the team behind the venture has. And mentioning a team, my next question was going to be, is a startup a lonely venture? Is it something that you have to undertake alone or is there support out there for you? I think there is this uh, very common saying that entrepreneurship is a team sport. And I think it relates to the fact that even though an individual could be very um, capable, there isn't enough time in the world to be able to address all the areas of building a business equally. It is crucially important to have a team on board that on one hand does have complementary skills that would, would enable the development of a venture. So you might need to have somebody with a financial background, somebody who is very well versed in marketing and sales, maybe somebody who's focused on new product development. You do have to have complementary skills on board. So that allows for much more creative solutions that are being offered to the market. But also, I think in the eyes of the potential investors, partners, employees, not all eggs are in one basket. And there is greater resilience as a result, and certainly in younger and smaller ventures to start off with. So yes, I think in most cases, although although we know of Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, as the founder of Facebook or Jeff Bezos, as the person behind the company, there's it in most cases, it's best to have a very capable team. Another aspect of team behind the startup is that it needs to be a team that is willing to question decisions and willing to kind of combat the groupthink that might occur, but also willing to support each other because startup journey is uh, full of bumps on the road and amazing highs and amazing lows. And I think it's good to have a little bit of a safety net in terms of your teammates to be able to uh, succeed. The people that you've mentioned there just now made me think, what's the difference between entrepreneurship and a startup? Or are they just different points on the same journey? So entrepreneurship to me is a much wider um, concept than just starting your new venture and and working for a startup and and trying to scale it. So startups 
typically refer, um, going back to your first question, to young and small businesses. And we tend to think of them as something to do with the digital space or a new business model that is being kind of uh, introduced. But inevitably, there is an element of um, digitalization in there. You also have large corporates that do encourage their own incubated and intrapreneurial efforts, the development of new products. They work with startups as well to bring in the technology to uh, augment the capabilities that they have. So they would cooperate with startups for a number of strategic reasons, but also financial reasons as a, as a lucrative investment and to diversify its own um, technology portfolio. You need to have that entrepreneurial mindset there as well. Increasingly, what we call small and medium-sized enterprises that have reached certain maturity be it you know, family-based firms or even social businesses, they too are always on the lookout for new growth opportunities. So in a way, you'd need to apply that entrepreneurial mindset in those settings as well, or at least somebody within the, the, uh, the top uh, management team needs to do so. I'll just summarize that I think Entrepreneurship could be, in whatever context it is, could be an exceptionally rewarding journey. It's nice to see ideas start small and then by purposeful action grow and, and really make tangible changes in the world. I think entrepreneurial mindset is a, 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 almost universally applicable across all the contexts. So I would encourage many people to try to understand, to learn more about entrepreneurship and try their hand at it. It is invaluable experience and great life skill. We, we certainly devote quite a lot of attention to how to build and grow ventures across different types of businesses in our MSc in Management and Entrepreneurship program. And so anybody who's interested in knowing more would be more than welcome to connect with us to have a chat and potentially apply. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing. <laughs> thank you, Emily. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Dr. Oksana for their time. If you want to find out more about the Management and Entrepreneurship MSc, you can click the link in the description below. Make sure you give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at podcast at prospects.ac.uk or find us on Instagram and TikTok. All the links are in the description. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time.